Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Has your week been a little bit like mine? Everybody I have spoken to this week, I've said, hey man, you're ready for Christmas? And the reply is kind of like this. Man, I am so exhausted. We are so stressed out. I don't know how we're going to get everything done. I just have heard that over and over and over again to the degree that I'm thinking, man, that Christmas is killing us. I mean, we all have that. Like, you know, we all have that one Uncle Ernie that comes to the house for, the, to the house for Christmas. You know what I mean? He's got the RV. You, you get the picture? Yeah. I always have this image from Christmas vacation when he is dumping the green sewage into the manhole, don't you? And I'm thinking to myself, I know who that is in our family. You know, I, I bet you got one too. And if you don't, you just don't know your family well because they're there, right? But Christmas is one of those seasons that is just, uh, it is so blown up. We put so much pressure on a season or a day that we're supposed to fix all of the problems in the world because good news and great joy and peace on earth has come to town. And what I've discovered is that we so often miss exactly what it is that Jesus came for. I I had a few folks that got really bent out of shape that we were doing four Christmas movies and and wrapped our Bible teaching around four movies. So I had a a lady that was really bent out of shape with me this past week and said, you know, Chuck, you were totally ruining the church doing this. And I thought, gosh, if that's all it takes to ruin a church, this is awesome. And then I thought to myself, you know, this, it is a little different. And we, we, don't, we don't normally go around doing movies and teachings and wrapping things around movies. And it is different, isn't it? But you know, the reason that it's different is there's something about this season we know is different. It's the only time of year that we hear different music. It's the only time of year when we gather together. W- would you actually want eggnog in July? I mean, now think about it. It's the only time we all exchange gifts. It's the only time that we run those silly Christmas specials on TV. It's the only time we see a Charlie Brown Christmas. Everything is different. Everything we know is different this time of year. But for a guy like, J- like Gage, everything is different because Christmas came to give him Christmas. I think the most beautiful thing about the promise of God in Christmas is that Jesus came on that first Christmas to give us Christmas. And when I see that, I think to myself, oh my stars, I don't want to miss Christmas. I don't want to miss what the Lord God has done for us. And then there's Charlie Brown. When I was a kid, my dad was like a big Charlie Brown, Charles Schultz fan. And and so in his office in our home, there were these life-size Charlie Browns, like the ones Leanne and her team did. And they were all over the wall. And my dad literally could, he could quote a Charlie Brown Christmas. He knew everything. And somehow dad used lines from Charlie Brown Christmas all year long. I mean, you could, you could be about to do something really stupid when you're cutting the grass in August and dad could break out a Charlie Brown Christmas line for you. Dad figured out this way that somehow this, this small 27 minute video that was animation that compared to how we animate things today was just so quirky and goofy and old school, but he figured out there was a message inside of this that watch this, put everything and all of life into proper context. 
I was in a counseling session earlier this week and we were chatting about what it is to put our life into context. And I, I was trying to teach through this time and saying, you know, you never win the comparison game. Like if you, if you compare me to my dad and how we preach, well, I lose. Because I could never be my dad because I'm just me. Dad, dad couldn't be me, but yet he's my dad. And there are times when I sit up here and I think, oh, my stars, I just sounded like my dad. Have you ever done that? And yet in, in the middle of all this, like Charlie Brown, this season has more suicide than any other season. More depression is discovered than any other season. More aloneness and weariness is hanging on this season. And I think most of it is on the expectation that we have placed on the season. That somehow, some way, Jack Frost nipping at our nose is supposed to make us better. Or like Terry Mulligan down here. I mean, he has literally roasted chestnuts on an open fire. Who's done that, really? I did that a few years ago. I so said, who has ever done that? And Terry's like, I've done it. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, like you're freakishly English, dude. I mean, come on. But it's a different season, right? It's a different time. Everything changes. And yet Charlie Brown is like, he literally says to Lucy, I'm just depressed. I, being somebody who fights depression in my own life, he's like a, this fellow journeyman with me where it, it's like, wow, I totally get how he's whacked out about what we made Christmas to be. So here's Charlie Brown. And he, he's bummed out because everybody he knows is, is trying to turn Christmas into what they think it's about. And so before long, Charlie Brown's circumstances and the world's stuff has robbed him of Christmas. And he begins to feel this tension. So today I, I want to unpack not the story of a movie. I want to unpack what I believe the movie points to. And as I do, we're going to journey a little bit in the Old Testament with a prophet by the name of Elijah. And we're going to journey in the New Testament with the courage of Mary and Joseph. But maybe we ought to stop and take a look at what went wrong with Charlie Brown's Christmas. Go ahead and run that first clip, guys. Something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. All right now, what seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aleurophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. 
Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or jephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it! Actually, Lucy, my trouble is Christmas. I just don't understand it. Instead of feeling happy, I feel sort of let down. You Incidentally, I know how you feel about all this Christmas business, getting depressed and all that. It happens to me every year. I never get what I really want. I always get a lot of stupid toys or a bicycle or clothes or something like that. What is it you want? Real estate. Charlie Brown. Hey, Lucy, something must be wrong with me. I'm, su I'm supposed to feel different. It's Christmas time. I mean, seriously, if you, if you look at everybody's Facebook page and their pictures, everybody in the world is having the greatest season of their life. You know what I rarely see on Facebook? I rarely see somebody saying, I am just so stinking exhausted. And if I have to go to the mall one more time, I'm going to shoot somebody. I never see that. I always see pictures of, it's such a wonderful time. And yet, I hear you. I know, I feel the same way. <laughs> You'd have thought that was on cue. Way to go, kid. And so, he's like, something must be wrong with me. I'm not happy. You know, it's interesting. I really believe the Lord loves it when we're happy, but he never promised it to us. The Lord Jesus never said, hey, if you take up your cross and walk with me, you're never going to have a hard time. I mean, the scriptures are abundantly clear here. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, bad stuff happens to good people and bad stuff happens to bad people. And the opposite is true as well. And you say, well, Chuck, I just wish I could understand it. You're never going to understand it this side of heaven. When you get there, it ain't going to matter. But we like to try to figure out, but as Christians, aren't we supposed to always be happy? No. There is a time when, when, when we are sorrowful. There's a time when our heart is broken. There are times in our life where it's just, it's weariness. I, I, know, I know in our house this past week, it just seems like it's been one thing after another where it's just, Lord, could you just build somebody else's character for a few days and get off our back? Could we, could we just, I hear you. Y'all are very interactive today. That's awesome. <laughs> I know it, yeah. I, I usually y'all are just like, you know, just sitting there, but way to go, bring it. But then... We're like, we're just like Charlie Brown. And you say, but we should be happy. We know why Jesus came. We know that he came to die and give his life for us. We know that we can find forgiveness. We know we can find peace and joy found in Christ and in Christ alone. We know that our relationship can be good with God because he sent his only son. Then why is it we're just so stinking exhausted and worn out? Let me give you this permission as a pastor. It is okay to not be happy. It's okay for you to be sorrowful. Have you ever had a season where you looked at old pictures and you got a little, uh, I don't know, you, got, you just had a little time where you just by yourself, you kind of teared up a little bit and you looked at what, what once was? Every time I look at pictures of me in high school, you know what I think? God, it must have been nice being thin. I mean, this whole fat thing will exhaust you. And, and then I, I run across pictures of my my mom and my dad, and I think I'd give anything if I could do one more Christmas with them. I'd never take it for granted. Sometimes you have a joyful sorrow. Sometimes you're just not happy. 
In the Old Testament, they're probably next to Moses. This is the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And his name is Elijah. Elijah was a fascinating guy. But in, uh, but in 1 Kings chapter 18, he, he does something that calls out the fact that this false idol that we know in the Old Testament is Baal. He, he proves that Baal is not a god, that it's literally a statue. And he kind of shames Baal and the priests of Baal publicly. And so you can imagine, excuse me, just a second. Hector made this, uh, Hector made this like super tea stuff to help me with my voice today. I'm not really sure what it is, but I think they call it Baptist bourbon. So I'm kidding. There's nothing in here but tea. But if I start slurring my words halfway through, somebody warn me. Elijah isn't happy. Everything's going against him. And then in the 19th chapter, Elijah does something that's totally courageous, right? Elijah goes and he destroys every idol of Baal. He, he literally kills the priests and the, I mean, he, he goes like total jihad on Baal, right? And so when he does, the king, whose name is Ahab, Ahab, he's a little freaked out. Now, the reason he's freaked out is that his queen, her name is Jezebel. Now, if you've got the name Jezebel, you kind of get a picture of who this chick is, right? So Jezebel, she is so mad at Elijah. She says in the scripture in chapter 19, by tomorrow night at this time, I will have your life. Now, Elijah's thinking, wait a minute, I, God, I was, I was courageous. God, I stood up for what you wanted me to stand up for. I, ha I had this significant and, and wondrous conviction to stand for you. I stood against you for the prophets of Baal. I, I stood for you. And why is no one coming to my rescue? I'm the one that stood up and made a courageous stance. And God, now it feels like I'm all alone. So Elijah, knowing that all of the armies are looking for him, goes and hides in a, in a cave. And, and this is what the scripture says. When Ahab got home, this is in 1 Kings chapter 19. It begins in the first four verses, right? When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So so Jezebel makes this vow that she's going to take him out. So he flees knowing that the army and all the powers of the country who are going to look for him to kill him. So he goes hide in a cave. Now he goes to hide in the cave. And what he asks God to do is give him this megaphone shout about what God wants him to do next. So he's looking for a great voice that is booming to come from heaven that says, Elijah, do this. Or maybe in an earthquake, the, the earth might move and he would know it was the hand of God. Maybe he would have a mighty wind that would bro, blow across and he was protected from it in the cave. And he was looking for everything that you, you could do to hear the voice of God. But why? Elijah had torn down all the idols. Elijah had stood for God. 
This is a, a time where the nation of Israel, like, like it happens over and over and over again. They were at one time following and walking and trusting God. And in this season, they'd gone completely away from God. Listen, if you can't draw an analogy to the nation of Israel then to America today, man, you're just not clear what's going on. We, we had people then that were saying, Elijah, you're on your own. You're the only guy going to stand for what matters. The rest of us, we're taking you out. And he's all alone. And in the middle of that, like Charlie Brown, he just feels let down. I mean, don't you know that in the middle of everything going on in the Christmas story, there's some sadness? Just like Elijah in the Old Testament, just like Charlie Brown in this 1960s epic animation film, that you just feel let down. You're just exhausted. I think about Mary. I mean, I want you to think about this. Here's this little 16, 17-year-old girl living in the Middle East, asleep on a mat, and an angel comes. And what does the angel have to say, like we talked about last week? Don't be afraid. You know why they have to say don't be afraid? Because can you imagine how afraid you'd be? Brushing your teeth this morning, getting ready to come to church. Angel comes. And you know what you're thinking? Okay, that's weird. And so the angel comes, and the angel says, now listen, hon, you're pregnant. And, and right then, Mary's like, no, listen, I, I had that talk with mom. I, I, I know the deal, and that has not happened, so you've got the wrong address. And the angel's like, no, 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 no. Well, the heavenlies picked you, the divine picked you, and you are going to give birth to a son. And the son is going to be conceived from the Holy Spirit of God, and he's going to be God's son. And you're going to call him Jesus. And in the middle of all that, Mary says to the angel and to the Lord, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And so Mary says, Okay, angel, I'm with you on this. I can do this. This is going to be awesome. But we rarely teach the part that comes right behind that text. Because what comes right after that is the angel departed from her. Now, I, this was one of those ahas for me in studying for this, for, for, for this text today. Yeah, all my life I had heard how awesome it is that Mary would look, hear from an angel, hear from the Lord. Clearly, God has sent this angel. Clearly, Mary is, is part of the tribe and people of Israel. Surely, she knows that God of all creation has now come and spoken to her through this angel. And then the angel's gone. And for the rest of the time together, this is what we know. Then the angel departed from her. You know what we never hear again? We never hear that the angel comes back and has a chat with Mary. We never hear that. She goes, and goes to her fiance and says, uh, Joseph, honey, we, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is we're going to have a baby. The bad news is you're not the dad. If you ever needed an angel, it'd be right then. Right? Because Joseph is thinking, okay, A, this is impossible, and who have you cheated with? Or B, I, I'm about to marry a crazy person. Or all the above. And so at this moment, this would be a perfect time for an angel to show back up, wouldn't it? It would be so awesome. But there's the angel again, comes to the shepherds and says, you know, don't fear. Go, go into Bethlehem. You're going to see. Follow the star. Get there. The, the Christ the Messiah has come. It's like that first song we sing, Emmanuel, God with us. He has come. 
But Mary has no more miraculous experiences. As a matter of fact, she, she carries this baby and, and, and somehow has to travel to Bethlehem. And in the middle of all that, Joseph still got to be thinking in the back of his head, okay, this is just too stinking weird. We know then that Joseph hears from the Lord in a dream. And, and it's like, hey, Joseph, you need to calm down about Mary. Because she's like really not only super hot, she is really telling you the truth. And Joseph thinks, I'm so good, man, because I'm totally marrying out of my league. And so he takes that word. And guess what? He doesn't hear from an angel again either. Don't you think he, ha- when he shows up like, you know, at the YMCA, you know, there in, in his town. And, 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 and they're like, oh, Joseph, I hear your girl kind of stepped out. What are you sticking with her for? And Joseph's like, no, man, really. God said to her, God said to me, and all of a sudden, they're like Charlie Brown too. The courageous walk with Mary and Joseph having heard from God in such a way that we just don't know. And there's Elijah waiting in the cave to hear this blowing voice of God through a megaphone. I'm pregnant, and you know you're not the daddy. And then Joseph's like, but I heard from God. And Mary's like, me too. Let's don't miss this. Let's don't, meet, let's don't make, miss the goodness of God by all means. Just like the Peanuts gang, they, they were about to miss it. R- roll this second clip, guys. How would you like to be the director of our Christmas play? Me? You want me to be the director of the Christmas play? Sure, Charlie Brown. We need a director. You need involvement. We've got a shepherd, musicians, animals, everyone you need. We've even got a Christmas queen. What's going on here? What's this? Find the true meaning of Christmas when money, 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 spectacular, super colossal, neighborhood Christmas lights and display contest. Lights and display contest? Oh, no. I've been looking for you, big brother. Will you please write a letter to Santa Claus for me? Well, I don't have much time. I'm supposed to get down to the school auditorium and direct a Christmas play. You write it, and I'll tell you what I want to say. Okay, shoot. Dear Santa Claus, how have you been? Did you have a nice summer? How is your wife? I have been extra good this year, so I have a long list of presents that I want. Oh, brother. Please note the size and color of each item and send as many as possible. If it seems too complicated, make it easy on yourself. Just send money. How about tens and twenties? Tens and twenties? Oh, even my baby sister. Nothing's going right. This is not what it's supposed to be. And what Charlie Brown is looking for, he's looking for something That's a a joy, that is a happiness, that is a peacefulness that isn't dictated by our circumstances, isn't dictated by the attitudes of those around us, isn't dictated by the stuff that seems to be so pervasive here at Christmas time. He just knows there's something wrong. And, And I couldn't help but be reminded of this New Testament story when Jesus is teaching and in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, which is my favorite chapter of all, all scripture. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. 
the rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew, and they beat against the house, and it didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool. A fool who built a house on sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and was completely destroyed. Listen, Jesus is not talking about a physical be a building. He's talking about a human being. He's talking about you and I. If we don't have this rock, bedrock, solid conviction, then naturally our Christmas is stolen from us in, in the world's commercialization or it's stolen from our circumstances or it's stolen from our fret or our worry. How are we going to get all this done? How are we going to pay for this? And we've hung so many expectations on our life and that Christmas is supposed to fix everything. But if you go back to that counseling session when we're, we're in there and we're trying to put life into context, part of what we're, we're struggling with, and I said, think about this. You're fretful to the point you're about to have a nervous breakdown because your family's coming to be with you and you've got an expectation to meet and gifts to buy. But let's put this in perspective. I don't think those folks over in Syria right now are worried about who's coming to the house, what we're going to cook, or whether or not we get the right gift. I think they're worried about whether they're going to live. I think they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Or I think about those hundreds and hundreds of boys and girls in Haiti. And you know what? The, the, if they got a tiny little orange, this would be the Christmas of, of all time. And I think to myself, can you imagine your kids coming down the stairs and the only thing in their stocking is an orange? I want to let, let that sink in. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, not my child. She is an angel. You don't know your kid. Because at the end of the day, the expectation we have put on this world is overwhelming. But this world is hard, is it not? I mean, it's, it's brutal, it's savage. I mean, the, the winds that blow around us, we're like pig pen and the world has just placed all kind of dirt around us and it's heaped on us. I mean, we live in a senselessly violent world where we look around and think, wait a minute, there's something that has gone catastrophically wrong here. There is something here that's just, it, it, we're not on the right page. But is, has it ever occurred to you that God the Father took a part of him and Jesus the Son and sent Jesus into this senselessly violent world for you, for me. I, I, I can't even fathom Jesus as he leaves the heavenlies and the side of the divine and comes into this senselessly violent world. You say, oh, but Chuck, it was a silent night. I don't think it was. Oh, but it was a holy night. You see, Jesus had to come into this nasty, violent world to defeat all of that nastiness and evil. Why? So that, we, so that we wouldn't have to, because we can't. He came that we might have life, we might have it in abundance, we might have it in, in eternity, and we might be able to say, it is because Jesus came on that first Christmas that we have Christmas. We have the hope of Christmas, we have the joy of Christmas. And anywhere you look at it, you wonder yourself, suddenly my problem seems so small compared to those folks in Syria or compared to those precious children in Haiti. But you can never win the comparison game, can you? 
Seriously, you can never win that comparison game. And yet we know the only comparison that matters in our life is, are we in obedience to Christ and Christ alone? Do we recognize that when Jesus came and gave us this first Christmas, he didn't come that we might have some cynical look at life and at Christmas, but we might say, wait a minute, there is more to this and this is where we're at. But the fact is Charlie Brown, he has a pretty hard time trying to herd these cats. He has a pretty hard time trying to make it all work and he's trying to lead this play and it's just not going easy. Guys, run that next clip if you would. Director, what director? Charlie Brown! Oh no, we're doomed! This will be the worst Christmas play ever. Here he comes! Attention everyone! Here's our director! Man's best friend. If I spread my hands apart, it means slow down. It's the spirit of the actors that counts. The interest that they show in their director. Am I right? I said, am I right? So there he is. He knows things aren't right. And what he's wanting is, let's do things right. Let's get in line. Let's do the right things. Oh, and in the middle of that, there, he's trying to command the attention of these folks that so they might follow his leadership. I, I think this is a pretty accurate picture of us as to how we hear the voice of God. I mean, there's Elijah in the, in the cave. There's Mary with the angel. There's Joseph with the dream. And then there's us. And, and I think as the Lord tries to get our attention, often we're like, we're like the Peanuts gang. We're, we're just doing everything but what the Lord has called us to. And so we're exhausted for all the wrong things. We're exhausted for everything that's, that's just exhausting and wears us out. And there's Elijah looking for this bold voice, just like Charlie Brown's got this megaphone trying to get his voice heard. But the scriptures, the scriptures tell us that God didn't scream at Elijah. The angel didn't scream at Mary. Joseph's dream wasn't a war of words. The scriptures say that Elijah heard the still, small voice of God. Do you know what? You know what's required to hear the still, small voice of God? That we park our voice on the sideline. It requires that we we take all the rest of the noise and we set it aside. That in this hectic, crazy season, we we can elevate the voice of Jesus and and we can minimize the voice of this world so we hear a still, small voice. I I don't know about you, but I got to tell you, I'm in desperate need of a still, small voice of God so that we might hear this, this is what Christmas is about. Maybe barely audible. But Elijah, to his credit, hears it. I wonder how many still small voices have we blown off or tried to explain? 
I wonder how many still small voices that God speaks into our life and we just can't wrap our head around it. Elijah, the scripture said, not only did he hear that still small voice, but he celebrated in it. He may have been all alone. He may have, he may have been the only guy that stood, but I would say maybe you and I need to stop this crazy merry-go-round of the season and hear God's still small voice saying, I've called you to have great joy and to have peace into your life today. You say, well, Chuck, I've never heard God's voice before. Oh, I think you probably have. But we just tried to explain it away. We tried to try to explain, well, this, this is not how it works. And yet, why would it work for Elijah and not for us? Why, what would happen if, if, if we were like Mary? I, I think what we'd say is, no, that's not impossible. It can't happen. I can't trust the voice of an angel. That's a bad Mexican. I mean, it's, the, the, the refried brains were bad. I mean, think about this. I wonder, can you imagine the risk that Joseph took? Um, just think about that. Joseph shows up and he, he's trying to explain that this is, you know, my fiance, she's expecting, but guys, it's not what you think. You know, we haven't, we hadn't been together and, you know, she hadn't been together and this is God came to her. Okay, can you imagine what you and the boys would be thinking around the water cooler? We'd all be going back to the table thinking, Joseph lost it, man. He thinks we're going to buy that. Can you imagine the courage that they took to, to, to take that ride and to take that walk to Bethlehem, the courage to find themselves in that stable and to lay Jesus, the son of God, into a feed trough? It was a pretty good risk. And this little Charlie Brown dude, he, he took a risk too. Guys, run, run this next clip because this, he's told to go get a big shiny tree. But as you know, he doesn't. Charlie Brown, don't you think it's great? It's all wrong. Look, Charlie, let's face it. We all know that Christmas is a big commercial racket. It's run by a big Eastern syndicate, you know. Well, this is one play that's not going to be commercial. Look, Charlie Brown, what do you want? The proper mood. We need a Christmas tree. Hey, perhaps a tree. A great, big, shiny aluminum Christmas tree. That's it, Charlie Brown. You get the tree. I'll handle this crowd. Okay, I'll take Linus with me. The rest of you, practice your lines. Get the biggest aluminum tree you can find, Charlie Brown. Maybe paint it pink. Yeah, do something right for a change, Charlie Brown. Gee, do they still make wooden Christmas trees? This little green one here seems to need a home. I don't know, Charlie Brown. Remember what Lucy said? This doesn't seem to fit the modern spirit. I don't care. We'll decorate it, and it'll be just right for our play. Besides, I think it needs me. We're back. Boy, are you stupid, Charlie Brown. What kind of a tree is that? You are supposed to get a good tree. Can't you even tell a good tree from a poor tree? I told you he'd goof it up. He's not the kind you can depend on to do anything right. You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats. You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a treat.
even Snoopy. I mean, I, how wrong is that? But he, he did take a bit of a risk. I mean, the safest thing to do is to go and buy a shiny aluminum tree, right? The safest thing is to meet somebody else's expectations. But Charlie Brown, actually, he picks this, he picks this little tree. And what does he say? This little green tree needs a home. I think it'll be perfect. This tree needs me. Right, listen, if you can't follow that analogy up with how God sees us, man, we got to start all over again. I mean, doesn't it remind you of the story Jesus told? Jesus tells a story of a shepherd who's lost one sheep. He's got a hundred, but he's lost one. And the story that Jesus tells is that this shepherd, he leaves the 99 and he goes to find the one. And you say, well, man, that's dumb. Why? You got 99 to take care of. What's one? Well, it matters to that one. You see, Jesus, being the good shepherd, came and picked you. He, he pulled us. He, he left the 99 to get us. We, we were the one. We were the one that he came to rescue, to wrap us up and to care for us and take care of us. You see, Christmas means that God himself, through his son, the Lord Jesus, came into this world. Why? Because God loves us. The scripture says he loves us and he said, these lost humans, they need a home. And they, they need to know that I love them. And I, I'm going to give my son that they might know how much I love them. But wow. Charlie comes Brown, Brown, Brown comes back and he... It's just like, I, what in the world? What, what do we do? And I can't say it near as well as Linus, but guys, run that last clip if you would. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I've killed it. Oh, every 
everything I touch gets ruined. I never thought it was such a bad little tree. It's not bad at all, really. Maybe it just needs a little love. So it all works out well, doesn't it? But you know, sometimes we really do go back and we find those old pictures. One of the pictures I found this week, I was about three and I was rocking some cowboy boots, but they were totally on the wrong foot. I had a little cowboy hat and I, I had a, a belt with a Lone Ranger pistol in it. I'm telling you, man, me and Tonto, we were something. I looked at that picture and I thought, wow, it brings back a million memories. I found a picture of my dad, me sitting in his lap. And I thought, gosh, I'd give anything to have one more Christmas with dad. You see, when we look back at pictures, especially this season where we're overwhelmed with emotion at times, Jesus came on that first Christmas, yes, to give us Christmas. But he came so that he might die, that we might live. And so in that room with his family, he began to tell them that he would give his life and he was about to die so that all those who believe might have life and that he was going to create a home in heaven for all those that believe. Can you imagine can you imagine God as he, as he describes to the heavenlies, I know how to fix this messed up broken world. I'm going to send my son and he's going to be born. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Can you imagine the angels? What palace, Lord? Are we going to build a new palace? Will it be more stunning than anything that the world has ever known? And, and, the, and God the Father said, no, 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 no. No, it, my baby boy is going to be born in a stable. And they're going to lay him in this feed trough. And the angels are like, that's the Charlie Browniest, Charlie Brown of all. And God was, no, 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 there, there's a plan here. Then guess what, guys? I'm going to send these angels and they're going to totally freak out these shepherds. And then the shepherds are going to be so blown away. They're going to come to the stable and they're going to worship Christ the Lord. And the angel's like, okay, God, we need to work on this script a little more. And God said, no, no, no. This, you see all those humans that are messed up? This is the plan. I, I need them to know that my son has not come for the wealthy. He hasn't come for those who've got it figured out. He came for everybody. And the angel like, oh, how come we didn't think of that? He said, because that's why I'm God. So Jesus did come. He came to be born to die that we might die to ourselves and yet be born again in him and find life. 
Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.